0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? All right, waking up slowly but surely. Uh, It is my honor to be here with you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, Gilbert, uh, you look so much younger and handsomer than what you normally do. I'm actually not (laughs) the senior pastor here. Uh, Gilbert is away. He's on vacation um, for this week and in the next couple weeks as well. So he's asked some of his uh, friends and some people even who ...go to church here to fill in for him. So my name is Brian Miller. Uh, I am an associate of Gilbert's. Him and I have worked together for many, many years in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania... Uh, When he was an associate pastor down there, and I got my ministry start with him, and I've been following what you guys have been doing very, very closely. So I was here last week, so if you're new, uh, you may not know who I am, or if you just missed last week, um, just wanted to give you a brief introduction of myself, and it really is my joy to be here. Like I said, I've been following what you guys have been doing very, very closely, and really excited about what God is doing through the ministry that's happening here at Exponential Church. Um, You guys are really making a difference in this community. And I'm excited to be continuing in this series that we're calling How to Be Brave. It's a two-week series. It's my last week. Hopefully, last week helped you out in your day-to-day life. We talked about uh, how to be anxious for nothing. So my hope, my prayer for you is that last week when some of those anxious situations were coming and trying to grab a hold of you, you were able to take a step back and compare it to this amazing and big God that we have. So if you were an anxious person, you weren't here last week, please go online and listen to that message um, so that uh, hopefully you can rely a bit more on God in those tough situations. And we're continuing and talking about how to be brave because so often in our Christian lives, those of us who have accepted Christ as our leader, um, we aren't living really the life that God has called us to. In fact, the, uh, the songs that we sang this morning were so uh, powerful. I don't know about you, like, but I'm getting pumped up, right? Did you get pumped up from those songs? We're supposed to be fierce? Yeah, right? We're supposed to be fierce. Um, our God is, uh, is a lion uh, fighting our battles for us. And I think of that, I'm like, wow, you know, God, that's so true. But am I really living that out in my day-to-day life? And as we look at, like, the Christian church as a whole, are we known for being that type of intense people on fire for God, doing what he's called us to regardless of what might happen? I think the truth is probably not as much as what we should be, right? So what we're trying to do is figure out how can we live those brave lives that we sing about, uh, that we know that God's word tells us to live. And we're looking in Philippians, which um, uh, has Paul, the Apostle Paul, of writing a letter, and he's telling us about how we can be brave. Last week, we talked from four, uh, chapter 4, 6 through 7. We're going to continue on, actually, in the next two verses. So we're going from 6 and 7 to 8 and 9, and uh, we'll get a new topic of how to be brave today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that. It will be on the screen. Um, get your phones out and make sure to uh, turn on your apps. Get to Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Here's the charge that Paul gives us. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent. Another way of translating that is of good report. Think of things of good report and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Christians are to be people of good report in a world of bad news. Psalms uh, 112, 63 actually fleshes that out a little bit more for us. gives us kind of a clear picture of what that looks like. It says this, such people, this is God's people, those of us who follow God, who trust Christ in our lives, such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. And here's the kicker in verse 7. They do not fear bad news. They do not fear bad Bad news. Now, last week uh, I stopped at a particular verse because it's one of those verses that, like, when you hear it, you're just like, ah. Okay, can I really live that in my life? This is one of those. So I'm just going to ask the same question I asked last week: How are you doing with that one? Uh, How are you doing with that one? They do not fear bad news. If you're a follower of God, do you fear bad news in your life? What? What is? The verse, say, continue on, it gives us a way out. It says, they co- confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Is that where you are today? Now think to yourself, what are some things that you might be afraid of when it comes to bad news, some situations that kind of get your skin crawling, right? There's plenty of us. I'm sure you can think of one just really quickly right now, and I'm going to give you a couple of situations maybe you can relate with. Um, do we have any parents of teenagers here? Not, maybe not currently, but you were at some point, right? Okay. Um, how about for you, some, some situations that might cause you to get uh, all worked up, getting a phone call after 10 p.m. from your teenager? Oh, boy. Probably not good news, right? That's a scary one. Does anybody remember before there was caller ID? Okay. That's, I think it was like 100 years ago before that happened. <laughs> And um, <laughs> I can vaguely remember. I'm not going to date myself either. Uh, but before that, if you were expecting a call from somebody you didn't want to talk to, you couldn't just look at it, your phone and say, oh, man, I, you know, I'm just going to hit the silence on that. You actually had to screen your calls. All right? You were afraid of every call you got because it might be that person. That's a fear of bad news. How about this one? You're, you, I know you'll relate with this one. Um, so I can remember a time when before I had children with my wife, and uh, we were married in that blissful time between getting married and having kids. Um, And I'm just joking. (laughs) Parents get what I'm talking about there. Uh, When you can do whatever you want. And now my wife is terrible about replying to text messages, okay? So I send her a text message. It'll be like, six to eight hours before I get any type of response from her, and one time she was sending me a text message. She was uh, working in Hagerstown at the time, so she was driving back and forth, and she sent me a text message. She said this. She said, I need to talk to you about something, okay, and now if if she gave me like an answer to my follow-up, which was, okay, what do you need to talk about? Um, It might be okay, but instead she went like eight hours, and didn't tell me what was going on. So I was running through the, the, the uh, possible situations that could happen. You know, she's found another guy. She's going to leave me. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know. She wants to just break this relationship off. You know, the car broke down. I don't know what's going on. So I'm freaking out. I'm sending her text. She gets home. She hasn't even responded to the text yet. And I finally see her. I'm like, what do you need to talk about? And she's like, oh, yeah. Uh, can we go visit my parents this weekend? And I'm thinking to myself, just start with that. You don't have to do the whole we have, that's not that we don't have to talk about that. Just let me know what it is. I love you, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we're still in the summer, right? I don't think school has started yet here uh, in, in the Harrisburg area and In uh, Chambersburg School District, which is where I actually work as a substitute, Um, they're going to be starting actually next week. And so for the students out there, uh, there's this thing coming up in a couple months um, called a report card. Um, Does that make you nervous already, right? Uh, For myself, I can remember as a kid, like, I would devise these elaborate plans to intercept the report card before it got to my house. Regardless of if I had bad grades or not, I was just so afraid of what it could have been. So I'm thinking of like how or what's the mailman's like exact um, triangulation getting to my house. How can I intercept him before that gets there? And then I can look through my report card and then give it to my uh, parents if it's good enough um, or it just got lost uh, if, if it wasn't. That's something that gets you nervous, right? It's the fear of uh, bad news. How about this one? You're, you're at work, and a coworker comes up to you and says uh, this phrase. I love this one. Um, the boss wants to see you. <laughs> oh, man, that's rough. Now, that's a situational, d- like, dependent thing, right? Um, if things are going well, you might be thinking, oh, great, like, all right, this is my time. I'm going to get my promotion. It's about time the boss wants to see me, right? I've been, I've been killing it at work. Um, But for most of us, uh, you probably are like, oh, man, did you notice I took a little bit longer on my uh, break than I should have? Is this the time I'm finally going to get the ax? Uh, You may be dreading it, right? And sometimes if you're going through your life, you get enough bad news and it keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. No matter who comes to you with some type of news, what happens? You start to dread it, right? You start to think, oh, just another thing. Here we go. This is another thing that's just going to pile on to what's happening. You get scared no matter what people want to say uh, to you. And I want to talk to you today about bad news and, and what we do with the bad news that we get, and specifically what we do with the fear of bad news. See, Paul tells us in Philippians that we're supposed to fixate on things that are excellent on the good report that God has given us, the good report that we can find in his word. But how do we fix on that? fixate our minds on that when there's so much bad news all around us, and we see that, right? We see that. So our first point, I want to just put this out there to you as an idea, and we're going to flesh this out in God's Word as we continue on, but I want to put this out here for you to consider. And that's this idea, that the report I believe is more important than the news I receive. As followers of Christ, the report I believe is more important than the news I receive. I receive. And we're talking about reports today. Um, You know, reporters get a bad rap a lot of times, uh, and and I think really justifiably so in some ways, in some ways not. But, you know, I actually got my degree uh, from Shippensburg University, which again is kind of close. It's actually between Chambersburg and and up here, closer to Chambersburg. Um, I got my degree in communications and journalism. And uh, it's kind of—I don't don't want to say it's funny—but people come up to me all the time and say, "Oh, yeah, that's isn't that a dying industry?" And it's for somebody who's looking for like a full-time job, like I am now. That's super depressing. Um, But yes, it is. (laughs) It is, and it's a hard, a hard jobs to get for uh, for somebody in that type of. with that type of a degree, uh, but there 's a lot of reasons that it 's a dying industry and you know some of it has to do with the news you read online there 's a hard it 's hard to get that monetized and to make money out of it. People are reading less and less newspapers but I think the bigger issue that is happening with journalism and reporters um, is that you know one of the tenets that we learned as, as journalists is that we're supposed to get the facts, right, um, understand what the situation is, just the facts, and come to a conclusion and give you, the readers, uh, the story as it is. But instead, what we see now, especially as we're getting hyper-partisan and, and, and we're going to our sides, um, what's happening now is with journal, journalists, they're taking their ideas and their opinions, and then they're getting facts to back it up, Right? And we see that. You read a news story from one paper, it has a totally different perspective, and, and it's trashing the president or whoever else, and then you get it from another newspaper and it's it's praising him and, and there's no criticism there. And you see that these journalists aren't really giving you the truth, they're giving you their opinion, right? And so you distrust them, and I think a lot of that's warranted. There's this distrust of the media. We can't really Trust these reporters, and I'd venture to say that each one of you is like a reporter in your day-to-day life. Okay, you're going through your life, and you're taking in the facts of life around you, and you're seeing how things really are. But it is going to be your perspective that changes how you react to those facts. See how you view God and your relationship with Him is going to fundamentally shape what you believe about the news that you receive fundamentally shape it. And before you go out into your day and face the troubles that are going to come because they will come, your story is actually already written. Already written, just like some of these reporters who who come to a conclusion before they even get the facts. Your story as a follower of Christ is already written based on what you believe about the nature of God and who you are to him. Your story is already written. Written And today we're going to hear a story from the Bible. Uh, It's going to be in Numbers 13, so you can go ahead and and flip there. I'm going to be going through this kind of quickly. We're going to be skipping around and kind of omitting some parts. Um, Not all of it's going to be on the screens for you because it's a lot of Scripture. So I would encourage you, if you're hearing some of this and you think it's kind of interesting, mark this and go back later on uh, in your day and read this entire story because it really is fascinating. But we're going to talk about a time when God's people relied more on the news they received uh, than the report that they should have believed. And that's in Numbers 13, 1 through 3. Now to give some context to this, this is Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the place that God had prepared for them, the place that God promised that he was going to take them. And God gave him a charge, and we read that in verse uh, 13, 1. The Lord says to Moses, he said, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites, the land he's giving to them. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. He goes on. In verse 17, skipping around a little bit, Moses gave the men this instructions that uh, he got from the Lord. He says, "'Go north through Negev, into the hill country. See what the land is like, and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad?' Do their towns have walls? Are they protected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do you, do your best to bring back samples from the crops you see. It happened to be the season uh, for harvesting first, the first ripe grapes. So God is telling them, go into this land and get a report. Be reporters. Go and see what you're about to be fighting for because they have to retake this land that God had promised them, right? And so he's asking them to go into this place. Figure out what we're going up against. Get a realistic picture of what it's like in the promised land. Now, what's interesting to me here is, is not really what God told them to do. I mean, to get a realistic picture, I guess that's kind of interesting. But um, it's, it's really interesting to me what he didn't say to them. Okay, He never told them to size up their situation based on their own strength. Right? He just said, get a look at it. And a realistic look. He knows that there's going to be people there. He knows that there's going to be encampments, people that are going to have to fight, right? And they get a realistic picture of these people, but he never asks them if they are going to be strong enough. Because isn't it true if you think about in your life, the situations you go up against that you know God has called you to, what's the first thing you do? You wonder whether you can do it, right? Not whether or not God has actually called you to do this or God's strong enough to overcome what he's put in front of you. We think about our own strength that's the first thing we do but we should first see if god is strong enough we should size up our situation Take things realistically. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that when you're going up against a tough situation or you're going up to do something God had called you to do, that you should not be realistic, right? We should really look at the situation as it is. We can't live in denial. You can't say that you're going to open a bakery, right, because you like to bake muffins, but you have no economic sense. You have no idea whether it's going to sell or not. You're not looking at the right location. And you say, well, I'm going to be brave. No, you're going to be broke, okay? It's not going to work, Size up the situation, but don't ever size up your God because your God's big enough to make it happen if that's what he has called you to. The moment you start to size up yourself, you will always judge your situation by your weakness and not by God's strengths, always. And we're going to see that Moses and the Israelites actually did exactly that. In Numbers 13, 21, We find that they explored the land. They went to this place that God had promised them. And guess what? It's just as good as what God said it was going to be. They see this land flowing with milk and honey. It's incredible. In fact, I encourage you to to, to read this story later especially because they go and they find these grapes that are there. And and I'm not making this up. This is actually in the Bible. Um, The grapes are so big that they have to get two guys to carry a stick, right, and put the grapes over it. Those are some big old grapes, okay, This is an incredible place, a place of of harvest and and of wealth that really went beyond what they could even uh, imagine. This is in verse 23, and they brought pomegranates and figs back, and they were there for 40 days looking at this incredible land. It was just as God promised for them, but it was their perspective that caused them to doubt God. How could they doubt God when they saw this incredible land? Well, when we get back to verse uh, 27, we hear the report. Here's the report that they give. They said to Moses, we entered the land you sent us to explore. It is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. I'm sure they showed them this incredible wealth that they got. But, in 28, but the people living there are powerful And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. These bad dudes are living there. And they start to doubt God. Not based on who he is, but based on their own strength. We could never overtake these people. Now, there's a guy among them named Caleb. He was one of the 12 that was sent out into this land to get this report. He saw the exact same things that these guys saw. And what did he say? Well, in verse 30, he says this, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. They saw the same report, but they came to a different conclusion. See, Caleb believed that this was the land that God promised for them, but the others started to doubt not based on God's strength, but on their own strength. And then what happens? In verse 31, we see this. The other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. They are stronger than we are. Wait a second. Did God ever tell them to take an assessment of their own strength? No but they did. And what happens every single time we judge our situation by our own strength and not by who God is and what he, we mean to him? What happens every time we get a bad report we see that in verse 32. They spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explore will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. They started to doubt. And what was the reaction to that? What happened? they didn't enter the promised land, did they? No. Because they doubted who God was. Today I want to challenge you to think about the situation that you're going through right now because all of us are in some way or another. And I want you to ask yourself and be honest this morning, are you judging your situation, your circumstances based on your own strength are you judging it based on who God is? Because I think if we were really judging it based on who God is, then the songs that we sang this morning wouldn't just be aspirational songs. They would be true in our lives, that we were living really fierce, incredible lives for God. I mean, think back to Psalm 112.7 that we read at the beginning, right? Right? What did did that say? It talked about how God's people, the righteous ones, do not fear bad news. I wish, in the Brian Miller translation of the Bible, I would say, um, the people of God do not get bad news, right? Don't you wish it said that? (laughs) I'm just going to rewrite that one. It's a mistranslation. Um, We can't do that, right? We have to take it based on what it says. We don't have the choice. I wish it said we didn't get bad news, but no, it says we don't fear bad news. Bad news, it's going to come. You're going to receive bad news. Our goal as believers, though, should be to take every bit of bad news, pass it through the filter, the report that we have, the report called God's Word. And then and only then should we react to that bad news. So back to this story, when they saw the giants, they started to doubt God. They had this report based on their perspective, not on what God said. And what these guys didn't realize at the time is that, did you know that God promised them this land over 170 times in his word? 170 times. Now, of course, they didn't have the Bible like we have it now, but they would have known that this was what God had promised to them. They knew it without a shadow of a doubt. And yet, They doubted. In fact, look at Exodus 3, 8. An incredible thing happens here. This is before they even went out on this journey, before they were close to the promised land. God is talking to Moses, and he says this. He says, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and led them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where what? The Canaanites, the Hittites, The Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. He knew those giants were in that land, didn't he? He told them those giants were in that land. And yet he promised that land to them. He promised that land to them. Those enemies were there. God knew it. You see, your story is already written. Your story, who you are to God, is already written in his word. And it doesn't change based on the bad news you receive. It doesn't change. It stays true. And as we think, this must be what, what would give Jesus the kind of peace. That when he's on the cross and he's hanging there, he can say, God, forgive those who put me up here, who are hurting me and humiliating me. Forgive them because they know not what they do. Now, if you think about that, in some ways I thought, you know, in the past, maybe that meant, you know, they weren't really sure that, you know, the consequences of what was going on. I don't really think it was that. Um, I I think it was this idea that certainly they knew what they were doing, right? They were humiliating this man. They were killing this guy who was certainly innocent. They knew that. I think what Jesus was saying was, forgive these people because they don't know that the death that they are bringing the pain that they're giving me is really meant to bring life. They don't understand that this story and their part in it was already written. And as bad as it is, God is going to use even that situation for his glory. And that's the theme of the entire Bible. It's this idea of redemption. God taking a land that's filled with giants and redeeming it for his people. God taking death on a cross and redeeming it to forgive our sins. That's what this book is all about, redemption. And the moment we have that kind of faith, the faith that Jesus had to say, I can stand here, I can be on this cross, I can die because I know, God, you have a better plan. It's that kind of faith that can turn any bad news into a good report any bad news into a good report because we believe the truth. We believe what this report says, that God loves us. And he can redeem any situation that you're going through. Because look at what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. And I love this verse. It says, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Some people might say, well, isn't that a cop-out, right? Isn't that this idea of blind faith? of not really taking uh, the realistic picture of what's going on in your life. Maybe you thought that too. Am I supposed to live this blind life, God, and not really see what my bad situation is? No, no. I think what's interesting about this verse is it says, um, we don't judge our situations based on how things seem because your eyes can fool you, can't they? We don't judge our lives Just on our circumstances, we judge our lives by what we believe to be true. And so no matter how bad your situation is, no matter how bad the news that you might get would be, we know the truth of who God is and what we mean to him. So what does God's word have to say to be true about us? in our relationship to Him, when we look at the hard times in our lives, what does God's Word say? Well, uh, Psalms 23, you probably heard this verse before, um, verse 4 gives us this incredible picture of what it's like to trust God in tough times. It says this, even when I walk through the darkest valley, maybe you've heard this saying, saying the shadow of the valley of death, right? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Because of my strength. Um, Because of my bank account, uh, because of my investments, um, because of my charisma, uh, because of the good looks that I have, not me, I'm just saying, you guys, um, (laughs) because of the good things that I've done, I will not be afraid. No, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? For you are close beside me. your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. It has nothing to do with you and your strength. Nothing. It's all about him. It's all about him. This is the report that we must believe. That in every bad situation, God is right there. He's not left your side. Even in the valley of the shadow of death itself, God is there. And it goes on. In Verse 6, surely your goodness and unfailing love will what? Pursue me. Whoa, hold on a second. Um, But I was taught that God will love me if I do the right things. If I was good enough. If I attend church enough. If I dress the right way. If I say the right things. No. No, no. Do you understand that he's pursuing you this morning? He's pursuing you. He comes to your heart and wants to be let in. That is what this report tells us. That God loved you so much that he came after you and sent his son to give us a way back to him. That's the report that we should believe. So take the bad news you receive and pass it through the report you believe and see how you can be brave. Is there anything that could shake you? Is there any situation that you need to back down from when you've got a God like this? No. No. So as you think to yourself, and I know all of us are going through something today, all of us, I want you to ask yourself, are you judging your situation by your own strength or by God's goodness and who he is to you? Think of that today and live these brave lives that God has called us to. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of who you are See, we walk by faith. We walk by what we know to be true, that you love us and that you're good, not by the way things seem. We're not like this world that is tossed back and forth by the waves of their circumstances. Instead, no, we stand on the solid rock, the foundation that is your word and your Holy Spirit living inside of us. And God, we know it's hard to trust you. We know there are giants in our lives right now. And we know you've called us to go to a place or to do something, God, to talk to somebody, to share our faith, to be honest with somebody about a relationship that we're in, to trust you through sickness. God, we know you've called us to do those things, but the giants seem too hard, too big. The encampments are, have walls that are too high. How could we ever get to the place that you've called us to? Well, God, help us to remember what your word says about us. That in the shadow of death, God, you're there. At our worst possible, lowest moments, you pursue us. Help us to live in that power and that strength today. To live the brave lives that you've called us to. God, we trust it. We proclaim that over our lives today. Come through for us, Father. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.